0: Well, uh, because it's almost Christmas, I, I was kind of rattling through, uh, all the Christmas movies that, that are just classics right now. And I, I was thinking, you know, Home Alone, I, I don't know how many deep that went. You have, you know, part one, part two, and then like it just went off the rails. You have like three, four. I think they had five total. Just a ton of Home Alone movies came out as, as they were figuring out their formula. And I, I don't really understand why there was more than one. Because if you, if you just take all of the entertainment value out of Home Alone one, those people should all be arrested. Every 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 family in there. Spoiler alert: uh, If you haven't watched Home Alone, it's it's been out for 30 years. But uh, they left a kid at home for a week during the holidays. He fended for himself. He fought off the burglars. But for a week, the family just like left their kid. And at no point did they call a neighbor and like, hey, can you go check on my kid? Uh, Like, call the cops themselves. Like, the weirdest thing happened. Accidentally left the country with my kid at home. And and so it just seems to me that after the first one, CPS should have picked up uh, Mr. McAllister and and rescued him. But the parents, if you talk to them, or I guess they're characters, but if you listen to them talk in the movie, it's like, oh no, he's, he, we, we love our son so much. I mean, how'd you leave him though? How'd you leave him behind? Oh, we, we, we're, we're really good parents. We really try really, really hard. But you know, even when the movie started, they were really hard on Mr. McAllister. What's his first name? Chris McAllister? Kevin McAllister, it would have come to me eventually. Kevin McAllister, like the entire family was just scapegoating on this kid from the beginning. He couldn't get a slice of pizza; his uncles tearing into him. But we're really good parents. That's just so that they could have him home alone too, and then leave him again. But anyway, neither neither here nor there. Their their actions seem to be different than than their words. Um, I, I, many of you probably, uh, in between the comas of Turkey, watch some football. Anybody get caught up, uh, and watch, watch some football. Watched, uh, I watched the Lions game. And I watched the after that the the Cowboys game. The Lions game uh surprised me because if you're not a football person, this is going to bore you. But the Lions have like a really good record going into that game. It was like nine and two or eight and two, something like that. Um, But they looked terrible. And as we're watching the game, and this is like anybody who's watching football is like, I could do better. Like I'm a better quarterback than that quarterback. I'm a better running back. I'm a better coach. I'm better than all those fans. Like we all know from, you know, where we sit on the couch, how to play the game better. But as it was going, it was like it was a little bit of a mistake, it was a bad pass, Guy, guy's not paying attention, he runs the wrong route, and I, I was telling who, the people sitting around me, it's like, man, this, they're looking really sloppy, they're looking really sloppy, and so they go into uh, the, the halftime, and when they come out of halftime, there's this, there's this uh, moment where the coach is talking, and someone, someone gives him the line, and says, hey, you know, what, what's going on, like your, you know, bad ref calls and stuff like that, he goes, no, No, it's us. Like, we're, we're just playing terrible. We're playing really sloppy football and we, we have, we are our worst enemy right now. And I remember thinking, like, how easy would it have been for that coach to take the, the thread, uh, of, hey, it's, you're, you're, it's, it's the other people, right? It's their fault, right? And instead, he's like, no, it's not the other people. It's, it's me and it's us and we can do, Better. Um, I bring up those two examples because we're in the middle of the series where we're doing some like hard work. Uh, we're wanting to look at ourselves and just figure out ways in which our our words and our actions and things tell us the truth about our heart. Because you and I have a heart that lies to us, and we would very easily take that thread and say, "No, I'm I'm I would never leave Kevin McAllister at home. I love him. He's my favorite son. You have twelve kids. You know, not nobody in here is as bad as those parents, but their act." betrayed what they were saying. The coach could have said, yeah, you know, really the refs. If it weren't for the refs, we'd be winning this game. He could have taken the bait, but he decided to own it and say, no, it was, it was, it was my mistakes. So we want to do the work as followers of Jesus. We want to do the work of being honest with our hearts, or better yet, forcing our hearts to be honest with us. Because if we're not careful we deceive ourselves into believing everything is okay. Um, when in reality, the Lord might be calling you and I to do some hard work. Um, you can't build the kingdom of God on lies. I had somebody say that to me one time. Could you imagine how, how that feels? Hey, uh, I was talking to, uh, a guy's kind of a, like a coach, a mentor kind of a relationship he says, Jesse, what do you think the problem is? And I said, well, you know, it's probably this. It might be this. And, you know, I'm thinking this. I won't won't get into it. It doesn't matter for this talk, what what we were talking about. He says, you think that's true? He's like, no, I don't. He said, like, well, Jesse, are you trying to build the kingdom of God? Are you wanting to like see God do a thing in your church and in mid-county? He's like, absolutely. He says, Jesse, you cannot build the kingdom of God on lies. Stop lying to yourself. I was like, oh, I mean, just a knife to the gut. That that stings. And I was reflecting on that because we're in week four of the series, and I haven't actually said this phrase yet. Um, the things that we're talking about doing, I think, are really uncomfortable. They're really uncomfortable to kind of look inside of our heart and find the areas where we've been lying to ourselves for a season and then to do the work. I, I just want to invite you to this reality that the Lord Jesus knows everything about you, and you do not have a need to project perfection to Him to prove yourself worthy to him. He is the one who gives you value. He invites you to bring your real self to him. He invites you to bring your real self to you and be honest with yourself about who you are and where your shortcomings are so that you can take those shortcomings and lay them down at his feet. Jesus will meet the real us. He's not so much interested in the projected us. And so the image of this heart behind us is like, it's really creepy looking. That's how artificial intelligence drew a heart. It's really great. Um, but it's the idea of like someone's trying to put their heart together, but in the picture, they're using the threads from the heart, pulling it out and repairing it. And when we deceive ourselves, we're unraveling one side of ourselves to make ourselves look right. And if you and I are going to have whole hearts, if we are going to live in, in reality without self-deception, it's going to be because we take truth from outside of us And we apply it. We take the truth of God's word and we get so comfortable in the uncomfortable places of God's word where it says, that's a sin, Jesse. Lay that down. Confess that, that we, uh, that we get truth and we build a real heart. So, uh, if the, if the heart is really good at deceiving us, uh, we need to have some lie detectors. And so for the last few weeks, one of the lie detectors we looked at is the words out of our mouth. If you were here for that, Jesus said that out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks, which means that your mouth will tell you the truth about your heart before your heart will. Hey, heart, am I doing okay? Your heart's like, you're doing great. But really, because I was really angry at my spouse, I was I kind of mouthed off at my coworker, and I was kind of harsh with my kids, and all these words keep coming out of my my mouth. Where did those words come from? Scripture says they come from the abundance of the heart. So we know where to bring our heart. I want to look now. Um, at another lie detector besides words, I want to look at actions. I want to look at like what we what we do. Other other Christmas movies. Um, the, in in just about every '90s Tim Allen movie, think uh, Santa Claus. Think uh, what's that one where his kid is like in Africa and he, what is it? Christmas with the cranks. That's another one. Okay, but that's not the one where his kid's in Africa, is it? I don't know. I don't, he had like a tribal kid that uh, his wife brought somewhere. Jungle to Jungle. Uh, every Tim Allen 90s movie has the same beginning premise. It is a dad who overworks. Um, and he promises his kid, I will never overwork again, and then he gets stuck in traffic. The, the beginning of the Santa Claus movie is he's telling his kid he's stuck in traffic while the highway is wide open. He's like fake honking. He, he misses his kid's baseball game, and, and the premise of every of these Tim Allen movies is with his mouth, he's saying, I love you. I won't let you down, but with his actions, he commits to too much at work, uh, he overextends himself. He can't follow through. And then he's trying to make up for it later. If, if I were to be in a counseling relationship with these characters that Tim Allen plays, I'd be like, well, how are your actions betraying your motivations? How, how, how are, how is this pattern of behavior telling you the truth where your mouth is saying something else? I watched the, uh, the PNG game, which thank, thank goodness we live in the future. I, I don't know if you know this, but you can now watch high school football on YouTube, which is just the best. Uh, I love, I love the work that they're doing. You have these student led program that you have, you have a, I don't know how old, uh, whoever the announcer is for PNG, uh, he is amazing. I'm assuming he's like 10th grade, 11th grade, something like that. Uh, 9th. He's ninth grade. This is amazing. And so he was, he was, it, it, he was announcing for the game and I'm watching it. And I'm like, that kid needs a contract. He's doing great. Somebody tell him, you know, send him this. He, he's done an amazing job. Um, after the half, uh, PNG was up. Almost 20 points. It was close. And, and, uh, he made a comment, the announcer, he made a comment about the halftime speech the other team's coach would have given them. And then after about two touchdowns, like boom, boom, like hit, hit, he gets on and he announces, he says, I don't know what that coach told them in the halftime, you know, meeting, but that was the best halftime speech that team has ever had. He says that because they just started scoring like so fast. And if you watch the game, we had a really good lead and we had a very nervous lead and we, we squeaked it out. What we saw in that game and what he illustrated is the point that I'm going to make here, which is it's not just that we say the right things, it's that our actions, they start to reflect the truths that are there. They start We start to live it out. A coach giving a really good speech is a dime a dozen. Every halftime has a coach giving a good speech. But those kids did adjust something and they did play better in the second half. Are you are you interested, uh church? Uh if the Lord was wanting to give you a little halftime speech about a little thing to tweak, are you interested in doing the hard work, the maybe even painful in some ways work? to kind of explore that with him and to make the, the adjustment. I'm all sports metaphors today, the halftime adjustment, uh, in your life. Not that you're, you're halfway. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is halftime for me. Um, I want to look at a few passages in the book of James. So if you would like to follow along in your Bible, uh, the book of James is where we're going to spend our entire time. And the great thing about James is that he is so practical. It's very where the rubber meets the road. It's not, I said this last week, it's not super philosophical. It's just like, if you believe it, these should be your actions. This is what religion should look like, uh, as James teaches it. Um, and I wanna, I wanna walk through a few passages of James and look at our actions and what they tell us and what we can do about it. Uh, we, we looked at this verse, James 1.22. We looked at this verse, uh, a few weeks ago when we started our series. Here's what it says. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And so when we looked at this a few weeks ago, uh, I was just wanting to make the case that you and I have a high proclivity to just lying to ourselves, deceiving ourselves. What I want to look at today is like how we stop doing that. And according to James, one of the ways we do that is that we be doers of the word and not hearers only the second lie detector we're going to try to unpack is just actions, doing things. The the if if you just list the last 10 things you were a part of, what what was on your calendar for the last month, that would tell you a lot about what's important to you, what what you're prioritizing um and and what is really true not not so much what you want to be true but what is actually true. And so James is going to say, it's, it, you know, don't just listen to God's word. Don't just become really good students of the Bible. But whenever you find something that's worth doing, if you feel the Lord calling you to lay something down, if, if you're being led to confess sin, uh, then, then do that. And some of us are like, well, that's, that's really hard. It's, it's all, it's all going to be, uh, hard. There's all, there's all some, some work to it. But be doers of the word. Some of us, uh, you know, you know, uh, the workaholics in here, to be a doer of the word is to take Sabbath rests, real true rest. This is a conversation Ashley, my wife and I were having yesterday is like, what does real rest look like? Because I really have a hard time not answering phone calls and, you know, checking on people. Like I don't, I don't really stop ever, but the Lord tells me to stop. And I'm, I'm just wanting to wrestle with what does rest look like? Some of us, some of us probably when we talk about our actions need to do less to reflect the fact that we're not God of the universe. And just have Sabbath rest, that he is the one who's controlling some stuff. Some of us have felt the Lord call us to do a thing to, uh, to, for someone, to say a thing to someone, to ask for forgiveness. And every time that thought comes up, we, we aneth- ties I can't say it. I can spell it in my head. We can numb it. <laughs> we, can, we can turn that signal off after a while. And we, we feel the Lord call every, every few weeks. You hear, you hear a sermon, and you're like, it's that same thing. It's that same conversation. I need to do this. And I think that James would encourage you, I think that the Lord would encourage you to be a doer of the word, not just hearing only, uh, but actually do some stuff with this. So the beginning of James talks about action and doing. James 4.17, which is kind of towards the end. Um, here's, here's what he says in 4.17. Whoever knows the right thing to do, And fails to do it for him, it is sin. It's not okay for followers of Jesus to know what Jesus is calling us to do and be like, ah, maybe later, Lord. Maybe, maybe maybe I'll I'll get that, I'll get that done later. Keeping with my, my football mode, I've just got football on the brain right now. Imagine if the coach was like, hey, hey kid, we're gonna, we're gonna pass right now. And the quarterback's like, ah, not today, coach. I'm just. Uh, and maybe I'll, I'll run a pass play. Maybe next quarter, I'll do what I want. Right now, I'm going to kneel. You know, I'm going to. I'm going. I'll get to it. I'll get to it when I do. The coach will be like, "No, you're not a player. You're you're not." When we when we use words like king for Jesus, when we use words like Lord for Jesus, we're saying we're with our mouth. We're saying I will do what you say. And so, if the Lord is calling you to do a thing then do it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. James wants us to be men and women of action. And like I said at the beginning, Uh, it occurred to me as, as I was preparing for this week that this entire series is incredibly uncomfortable. It's, it's designed to pull the numbing, like, bandage off of a wound and actually look at it. It's designed to find those areas of our heart. And I just, if, if you, if it makes you uncomfortable, um, I would, I would invite you to lean into that. Be curious about why that's uncomfortable. Like, why, why is it uncomfortable to do the right thing? Um, what does it reveal about us? I want to want to spend our time today uh, at the end of chapter 2 of James uh, and look at these actions and try to maybe develop a little bit of a theology for why the Lord is so intent on our actions reflecting our belief structures, that it's not just knowledge. I went to uh, college, uh, you me, uh, and, and like I studied, uh, the Bible because I was curious about the Bible. If I had to be honest with you, I had no intentions of ever becoming a pastor. I told them that when they were interviewing me, like, you want to be a pastor? I'm like, not really, uh, but I think I'm supposed to. I think I'm supposed to at least apply. Like I really, I really, it just never was on my radar. In fact, uh, I, I didn't tell the elders this, so this may come up later in a, in a, uh, <laughs> a review. Uh, I almost flunked out of college a bunch bunch of times because I wasn't really interested in the grade. I wouldn't turn stuff in. I was really interested in just knowing stuff. I wanted to learn as much as I could because I was really curious about who God was and like how really smart people. And I, I thought, man, after about six months, I felt like I'd have everything under my belt only to discover, uh, that the well is very deep. <laughs> it, it, you never get to the bottom of knowing who God is. Um, the, the, uh, I think it was the Puritans. They 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 had a a Latin phrase for it. It's called a census plenoir. I don't I think it means something like the deep well or something like that. That that knowing God and seeking God, you never get to the bottom of it. And there's this temptation, especially in Protestant churches, there's a temptation that you just spend so much time looking in the well that you know a lot about God. You can argue facts about God, but if you're not careful. None of those facts have moved us into action for a while. None of us have actually sacrificed ourselves for someone that we say that we love. Love is laying down your life for someone. We're like, I I know a lot about that. I could tell you what that is in the Greek, if you don't mind. We can parse some verbs, but have we we done it? And what James does here at at the end of chapter 2 is he calls people like me to the carpet and says, your faith should be more than just knowing a lot of facts about your God. Here's what he says. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So this is a very popular verse, and and there are a lot of lot of walls. Like everybody's going to draw a line. If you know this verse, if you if you if you've studied, you're going to draw some lines. Like, okay, well, it's faith versus works. Which which one is it? And James is going to want to explore this question: Can the kind of faith that has no actions at all and just a lot of head knowledge is that good enough? Does that work? Uh, can that faith save him? James asks. Here's here's how he continues his thought. Verse fifteen. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And James, he uses this this illustration. You just see some some young girl, and she's, she's starving. I'm so hungry. And winter is coming, and she's not dressed to protect her, and, and someone of faith, someone who who claims to be a follower of Jesus, just looks at him and like, I see. Be warm, just you know, bless you, sister. And then peace. And you just leave. And nobody's fed her, nobody's given her clothes. Is that good enough? Is that is that good enough? Yes or no? You can shake your head yes, you can shake your head no. I mean, it's a rhetorical question, it's obviously not good enough. Except, um, I tell myself, Jesse. Like I'm just full confession. I tell myself that's good enough all the time. Uh, hey, oh, I'll I'll pray for you. I'll I'll I'll, I'll yeah. Anything you call me if you need anything, and then calls like, oh man, they needed something. Oh man, <laughs> you know. Uh, if if you, I'll I'll pray for you. You know. So, sometimes our faith is meant to put clothes on that young girl to. Put dignity on another person. Um, a lot, a lot of times. Um, as, a, as a, This is true of any church, uh, in, probably in America. There's a knock at the door, a ring of the doorbell, and it's someone's like, "Hey, I saw you were church, and like, I'm, I'm in a hard way. I, I just need some help." And we get that uh, here regularly. And I. I it's always surprising to me because there's a, a pre-recorded speech that person has already. Uh, you can sense it. Like they, they just, they need you to stop talking so they can get, if, because maybe they believe or maybe they've learned that, uh, people will only help if I say the right sequence of words. And I find myself very often just in a hurry to get past the pre-recorded speech and just like, Hey, we're going, we'll, we'll help you in some way. I don't, I don't know how, uh, we can help. I'll listen to you, but I just want to get to know you. And then there's this pause. They don't know how to, sometimes people that come asking for help, they don't know how to actually have just a, Oh, wait, what? You, you want to, yeah, tell me, like, you have kids, you have, you have a family. Tell me, where are you from? It's like, oh, and then we'll have like a 30, 45 minute conversation. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, anybody who's ever come to this church asking for help, if I've met with them has had a 30 to 45 minute conversation with me, uh, just, just listening. Uh, I'll do what I can to share the gospel with them and ask them how I can pray for them, and then whatever we can do to help, which usually isn't everything that they're asking for, um, we will try to help. Your actually, your tithes, your offerings enable me to be able to quickly help people in that way. Um, but what if what if I just said, Hey, I'll I'll pray for you, but I'm really hungry and my kids are hungry. It's like, yeah, okay. But the Lord is the Lord with the cattle on a thousand hills, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for you, brother. That that would be a cruel faith, I believe. And it's kind of what James is articulating right here. He's like, your, your faith should include actions that reflect the truths of your faith. Is, is it good enough to just tell this person, be warm and be filled, and it satisfies them completely? It says in verse 17, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so um, what James is going to make the case for isn't that the works help improve salvation. The works do not cause salvation. He's saying that a faith that does not have action attached to it is not the right kind of faith. It is a dead kind of faith. It is a... Um, Uh, incomplete version of faith. Having a ton of head knowledge about God, but no actions that move us towards those truths should cause you and I to stop and say, what's missing? My actions are showing me that my heart is lying to me. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He, he already predicts that people will exist like, listen, I have faith. You're saved by faith alone. That's true. And in fact, I think that James would agree with that um, because people will take this verse, this passage out of context. And so he, he predicts someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And so James's challenge is, well, show me your faith apart from your works. Show me show me a faith. How can you show me your faith apart from your works well let's we're going to have a bible study and i'm going to get my greek resources out and i'm going to bring my church attendance in and look at my tithe records and i'm going to bring all of these like accoutrements all of these ornaments of my faith and james is saying but have you have you put any rubber on the road have you have you done anything have you given to someone have you sacrificed for someone show me your faith apart from your works and i will show you my faith by my works you cannot james would say you cannot Separate my faith from the things that I'm doing on behalf of God. Verse nineteen. This is the one that stings me. It says you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You believe that that God is one. The Jews uh, they they would quote the Shema: uh, The Lord our God is one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's like you guys. He's like you believe all of these right facts about God. You know who knows more about God than me and you? The demons. <laughs> that's, that's James's point. The demons know more about God than me. You know, the, the poison of what I was trying to do in college of just a, a acquiring a lot of knowledge about God is that I was looking more like what? A demon. <laughs> I was, it was, it's an evil thing to just have knowledge about this God and not just, um, and not, and not have action that goes with it. He says, "Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what faith apart from works that, excuse me, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And Scripture was fulfilled that says, "Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend" of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not faith alone. What, what, uh, James does is because his audience knows the Old Testament really well is he's gonna reference two characters. The first we just looked at is Abraham. What's great about Abraham uh, is that Abraham is not the best character reference you can look at. Yeah, sure, he he believed in God, he trusted God, and you can see some actions. There's some really good redeeming qualities about Abraham. If you know your Old Testament, these will be kind of a repeat, but like he just has the sense that God is calling him to leave his family, and he says yes to that, and he leaves his family, and he follows God. Um, at one point, him and his nephew are fighting over land, and he's like, listen, family's more important than fighting over land. Lot was his name. Lot, you just choose whichever side of the field you want. And I'll take the opposite. Whichever one you think is better, you go take that and I'll take the opposite. That's a really good redeeming quality of Abraham. Here's why you don't want to always act like Abraham. It's because when he was in trouble, he would take his wife and put her out in front like a shield and say, here, take my wife. She's not actually my wife. She's my sister. Do whatever you want. He did that twice. I'm surprised that Sarah, like after the first time, this is kind of like Home Alone too. Like how did there, How was there a second time? Um, at other times, you know, he, he doubts God's promise. After years and decades of following God, he, he gets in his hands like, maybe God needs some help for me to get his promises. And, and he has a child with another woman. God's like, I never wanted you to, to do that. He is not a fully redeemable character. His actions are both good and bad. And yet James uses him as an example and says, it was, you know, how he was willing to sacrifice Isaac, his faith, showed action. He was righteous. He was called righteous as a result of that. What if what if Abraham is more like you and me, the American Christian? It's like the Lord is calling him to sacrifice. I guess like, yes, Lord. Mm, and Thank you for that, Lord. Amen. And then you just like get your phone out and play Candy Crush or something like like, hey, uh, the Lord, like I called you to do something. Yeah, I heard you. I believe that you wanted me to. I believe that you'll rescue Isaac. I believe everything about you. Thank you, Lord. And then we turn on the TV. Never getting off of the couch to do it. There, there should be action with our faith. But James doesn't use a perfect person. He uses Abraham. And if you if you think well, Jesse, you know. Abraham's a pretty good guy. I mean, he has a song named after him and everything. Let's look at this next person that he brings up. Verse 25, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. You don't have to really know your Old Testament to hear Rahab the prostitute and think, hmm, that's not the best character reference. Um, here's here's what happens in the Old Testament. She lived in a city called Jericho. The Israelites are about to invade the promised land. They're like stacked up by the, the gajillions, ever how many there were, about to walk in, and they send some spies into Jericho. And the spies go to Rahab because... She welcomes everyone. And as they're meeting Rahab, they get to know who their God is, this God who goes by the name I Am, this God that we call Yahweh. And she hears about him. And she's a woman that is lowest reputation in her community. Her actions do not show very much of a redeemable quality except when she hears about the one true God and she knows that this invading force is about to take out Jericho, she sides with them and she hides the two spies. She tells the king's men that, oh, they left, they went that way. And then she sends them out the other way. And James uses her as an example of what a saving faith looks like. It has action involved with it. Imagine... Imagine how scary that had to have been for her to turn her back on her people knowing that the invading force was at hand and say, no, I'm siding with that, God. I'm going to be a part of that. This is such uh, a scandalous story by itself until you start to read the genealogies of Jesus and you find out that Rahab is like the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. You know all those boring parts of Matthew where it's like so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so? Yeah, one of Jesus's great-grandparents is this woman right here who's being referenced as someone who has the kind of faith that has actions. Listen to me very quickly. Your reputation is so easy for God to do something good with. And it's only when we're deceiving ourselves and we're lying ourselves and we're trying to hide our backstory from God and from others that we are stunting ourselves. But this woman, she didn't hide who she was. She, everybody knew who she was. She probably had a sign on her door who she was. And yet she still felt like she could turn to God. she Her actions still reflected a faith. Why do you and I deceive ourselves? I said this in the first week. We deceive ourselves in hopes that we would be received. But what if the Lord your God, despite your previous actions, was ready to receive you now, and he's waiting for the real you to show up, and not the self-projected you, the, the you that you wish that you were? I'm sure Rahab had some pieces of her that she wishes she was. Um, but she brought the real version of herself. Verse 26, 4, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James's main point in this entire section isn't that you can be saved by works. That is a misunderstanding. Martin Luther, when he read the book of James, he was so convinced that that's what James was wanting. He wanted to take that out of the Bible. The problem with that is that Paul says some of the same things, is that faith and works should be together because the works prove that your faith is at work in you. And if your actions are telling you the opposite, your actions are more likely telling you the truth than your heart is. So as, as we kind of land the plane on this, I want to, I want to come back next week and I want to ask the question, like, why is it that you and I do things that we really hate? Like, I don't know if you've ever like, man, why do I do that over and over again? I really don't like that. We're going to explore our actions again next week. I just want to reflect on this truth here. Because of who Jesus is, and because of what Jesus has accomplished, the gospel says that the value of your life is not the sum of your past behaviors. You will not have your entire life put on a scale. And if you're one hair good over one hair bad, that's how it works. It's not how it works at all. You, because of who Jesus is, are not the sum of your past behaviors. If you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord, you are the sum of your past behaviors. Um, your actions, if there's anything that you're ashamed of, and you don't have Jesus to bounce it off of, I would invite you to confess that to Jesus and make Jesus your Lord and that you would trust him for forgiveness because that's what the gospel says. But if you are a follower of Jesus, stop condemning yourself for your past actions because you are not the sum of your past behaviors, but your past behaviors will tell you the leanings of your heart, will tell you the truth of where your heart was leaning in that moment and what you're putting your faith in now. I trust wholly and completely in the Lord Jesus. And then, you know, if you have, you know, a couple of digits of credit card debt, you're also trusting a MasterCard too. If you, if, you, if you trust completely that the Lord will protect your family, but, you know, you're spending a lot of time socially engineering your, your child's kind of trajectory through the school and through the teachers and through the classrooms, you're kind of trusting on your own understanding too in that moment. And so, and so do your actions reflect uh, your heart your past behaviors will tell you the truth of your heart a lie detector for our self-deception is our actions and because we covered so much ground today I actually have two closing thoughts and that's that's this no matter your past actions whether you're proud of them or not for a growing christian that action should lead to either confession or worship not concealment or worry if if you have anything that you're ashamed of, if you've ever done something that you're embarrassed somebody will find out about, if you're a, a disciple of Jesus, that should draw you towards confession, not concealment. Tell your spouse. Tell the Lord. If you've ever done something and you're super proud about it, and you're just like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, ha, I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I said that to him or her. That should lead you to worship. Not worry. If your actions are leading you to conceal it or to worry about it, those would be indications to me that you are not having an active faith. Your heart has, is in, in fact, in that moment, deceiving you. And you should lay, lay that down as a confession towards Jesus. The truth is, is that you don't have to conceal yourself from him. He already knows it. He, he is willing and able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So may we, as followers of Jesus, uh, lead more towards confession and more towards worship. Let me pray. Uh, pray with me, please, and we'll watch the the cue together. Father, you are um, you are a God who knows us, and uh, the idea that we could hide anything from you is uh, it's it's just silly. Um, Father, I pray that in in that full knowledge, um, Lord, that we would uh, we would walk in peace in that. To be fully known by you and still loved and still accepted is the gospel. And it is so hard to believe because, because Lord, we, we have so many examples around us of, of people that if they really knew the real us, they turned their back on us. And, um, I think many of us are scared that you would do the same to us. Lord, may we, may we take you at your word. May we trust the truth of the gospel that you accept the real us. Um, Father, I pray that as we do this hard work and we uh, kind of cultivate the soil of our heart, uh, Lord, that it would be rich for this Christmas season as we wait um, uh, and expectantly for what the Lord Jesus will do in our community, in our own hearts, and in our families. I pray, Lord, that um, this work increase in us joy and peace um, and worship and not not worry and anxiety. I pray a blessing in the name of Jesus over the men and women who are hearing this, that um, that they'd be close to you this, this time of year. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.